so wholesome. What do you value in life? What makes it meaningful for you? What do you want to experience? That that is way too grand a way to start, man. <laughs> um, that the list is pretty long. Okay. Um. Yeah, you're right. You may maybe you're right. Okay. Let's let's tone it down. <laughs> let's. I, I want to talk about the Matrix today. You're oh, a fan okay. of that movie, right? Yeah, yeah, no, it's um, that's the the latex bodysuits. They do the the pew pew guns, and then the, I mean, there's lots of blood, so it's also like pew pew. That sounds much worse. I'm so sorry I said that. Um, they've got kung fu kicks, um, and backflips, and it's a lot of wire work. But I know it's supposed Whoa, to look no. like high jumps. It's real. It, it's a lot of real, real jumps <laughs> that were thirty feet high. Sure. Um, and sunglasses and, uh, generally weird physics. Yeah. All the great stuff in life. <laughs> I remember I first watched it when I was 10 years old and it was the first rated R movie I ever watched. Sorry, dad. Um, <laughs> but I bring it up because I rewatched it at the end of my first philosophy class. And honestly, it was an entirely different movie. Mr. Panino changed my entire life. So... I want to bring the philosophy of the Matrix to everyone. Let's do it. Don't be Aristotle by your Plato knowledge, cause we got our game I like. Will Vinny Vitty Vici and Mustachio Nietzsche, and we'll never miss the marks, cause I'm awesome, he's heathen, and this is our podcast show. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Wholesome. And I'm Heathen. You know where you are. The greatest podcast of all time. <laughs> Nothing else compares. Uh, the one where I bring the pop culture. And I bring the philosophy. And that way you actually get to learn something, and it's maybe not the most boring thing in the world. It's not super dry and academic. At least that's our goal. Yeah. You know, I'm still a bunch of nerds, but like the fun nerds. You know, like the, the cool teacher that you looked up to. and. <laughs> So we wanted to do something different this season, right? <laughs> yes, yes, we did. And and this time we're going to be looking a little bit more into concentrating on a singular pop culture item and then dissecting it through the powerful lens of philosophy. And that's where I want to bring in The Matrix. So we're going to focus this entire episode on The Matrix and all the different little philosophical aspects of it. And hopefully you uh, learn something or enjoy it or, I don't know, just listen <laughs> if they're talking to us somehow through this right now that would be absolutely stunning um i'd be skeptical Ooh, perfect so there's a lot of skepticism in here and uh that's a great segue so listeners of the show may be familiar with rene descartes the french philosopher actually how about a quick refresher for us oh yeah no i got this um he was the i think therefore i am guy uh, he thought that because he had big brains he knew he was real you know it's pretty simple it makes sense to me um but he wasn't sure if anyone else was real i don't know kind of egocentric if you ask me yeah something like that do you remember his skepticism bit that was the most unsettling part like with the uh, how can we know if our reality is really real yeah he used dreams as an example right right he, he was asking how can we know we're not dreaming and that we're actually living in the true reality? I've had dreams that were so vivid I fully bought into them and then I thought they were real until I woke up. And the movie Inception talks about like that exact thing. Have you ever had a dream within a dream and you think one of the levels is real and then you wake up, but you're still in a dream? It's also vivid and confusing. So if dreams can even sometimes be so realistic... How can we know that we're not in an elaborate dream right now? 
Oh, the sound is back. And yet, we dismiss it right after we have the thought. That's silly. That's not true. But how do we know? How would we know? So, so that's what the Matrix is based on, right? You know, I remember one dream where I met a lovely lady named Emily. Our perception of reality not being true. We weren't together long enough. And Neo is finally brought out of the fake reality and shown what's real. I didn't do right by her. Dude, dude, are you alright? Are you talking about a dream? I still remember that, that shy smile. Pull it together, man! Ugh. Yes, right, right. The show must go on. <laughs> okay, so where were we? Right, right, okay. So there's a thought experiment by the American philosopher Robert Nozick. And it was created to answer a different question, but I think it's interesting here. Nozick talks about an experience machine. And uh, let me read to you Oh no. a little bit about that. Okay. This reminds me of bedtime. Please don't fall asleep. <laughs> it's philosophy. You're asking a lot. So, from my beloved, the pig that wants to be eaten, experiments for the armchair philosopher book. <laughs> Robert has been sitting in front of the consent form for two hours, and still he did not know whether to sign it or shred it. His choice was between two futures. In one, his prospects were bleak and the chances of realizing his dreams slim. In the other, he would be a famous rock star, guaranteed to be kept permanently happy. Not much of a choice, you might think. But whereas the first life would be in the real world, the second would be entirely within the experience machine. This device enables you to live the whole of your life in a virtual reality environment. All your experiences are designed to make you happier and more satisfied. But crucially, once in the machine, you have no idea that you are not in the real world, nor that what is happening to you has been designed to meet your needs. It seems you are living an ordinary life in the ordinary world. It is just that in this life, you are one of the winners for whom everything seems to go right. Robert knows that once he is in the machine, life will be great. Hmm. But still, something about its phoniness makes him hesitate to sign the form that will take him to this paradise. <laughs> that's good stuff. So that's the thought experiment called the experience machine. And I, th I think we get the idea of it, right? So nothing is real, but is it worth it? I mean, it does sound like a pretty cool reality to get to be a rock star indefinitely i mean a fake one you're not really doing a good job at it because it's uh made to be that way right right you're getting but it reflects reality like you would never know it doesn't feel like oh i'm getting this because my daddy made it so like you're still doing it and you have no idea that it's huh. maybe not real like i could do it really poorly and i'd still be successful i think i'd have a lot of fun with that <laughs> no 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 i think you would be trying oh okay all right that's, uh, you, again, you don't know that you're in this virtual land. So you, you're not just playing a game and having fun. Like to you, it's real. Fair you're enough. Trying. But, but, but even with that, it's, it's, it, sure it feels real, but it is not real. Like there's, there's a certain, I don't know, like a, like a, a grittiness and authenticity that's missing from something that's manufactured versus. Oh, well, what, what is real? You know, I mean, sensations are just signals in the brain. What is real? How do you define real? If you're talking about what you can feel, what you can smell, what you can taste and see, then real is simply electrical signals interpreted by your brain. 
I, I mean, I suppose that is true. Um, I mean, neurons just kind of fire down the line and, um, you know, make our muscles twitch and our brain do the big brain thing that yours does and mine tries to keep up with. So the world we live in right now is nothing more than the sum of our experiences. What we see, hear, taste, smell, and touch, is it more real because it's caused by uh, subatomic processes rather than a silicon chip? That's the question. <laughs> You know, I I have this memory of getting like an electro massage or something. It wasn't a weird thing, but it was I was injured from some sporting thing and the sports therapist or whatever you call them. They put these like little electrodes on my neck. That's where I had like a cramp and they turned on the machine and then my muscles started twitching and moving and doing all this stuff without me controlling them. So we all know like. If you say, lift your arm, your arm doesn't lift. But if you think lift your arm and you want it to lift, it just does lift. So we know like we control our muscles. But all of a sudden, I wasn't controlling my muscles. And it was just such an interesting experience being like, whoa, I am just synapses and electrical signals jumping through. Eek. Eek. I, I think I remember in um in a class when I was younger, like when they first discovered that, I don't know, it was a flashback to what that experience experiment was but i think there was a dog that they had uh with an exposed brain might have been recently deceased or about to be deceased um but they would just basically poke it in the brain in the right area and the legs would move and they're like cool all right involuntary movement like <laughs> you can do it through <laughs> it's the brain it's neurons it's shing foom and that's just uh yeah that's exactly it that's exactly what happened to me except for i was luckily still Ceased. 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 <laughs> As opposed to deceased. Yes. That's a much better way. I prefer you that way. Um, and that's that's just the most uncomfortable. Even if you just get a muscle twitch or or, or if you've ever gotten a, what, a charley horse or a calf cramp or, or whatever. Yeah, it's just yeah. like, I'm not doing that, but it, it sure is doing it on its own and it's scary and it hurts. Um, other people, I'm very strong. So basically, what are sensations other than just electrical signals? So, quote unquote, real electrical signals or artificial like what difference does it make but but i mean when it comes down to it we want we want more than just pleasure from these machines we're looking for um something more and right yeah some of these things can be involuntary but the sensations that we are experiencing is real the world we are in is real we want to touch that world we want to feel that world whether or not it feels good at times so that's that's a a great point that you bring up that we want more than just pleasure, because that's actually what Nozick was trying to tackle through this thought experiment. He was trying to discredit hedonism. Hmm. And so that's what he was talking about in this, because most people would be like, yeah, even if it's a perfect world, I, for some reason, don't want it. So he was saying, well, OK, clearly we must want more than just pleasure. But I don't want to focus on that side. I was trying to bring it up more as a it's artificial, but is it still worthwhile? So one of the clearest philosophical ideas in The Matrix is Plato's allegory of the cave. So it's the whole idea written by Plato in his Republic where imagine a scenario. It's going to be a little far-fetched, but just go along with it. It is Plato after all. He deserves your respect. So <laughs> Yes, sir. Imagine a cave. And there are a few prisoners. So there are these people facing the wall of a cave. And they've been there their entire life. And they're chained in such a manner and in such a way that they can't turn and look around or this and that. They, they are not mobile in that manner. But they just see this cave wall. And there's someone behind them with a fire. And they're basically doing shadow puppets. And all that these people see are these shadow puppets. Their entire life. That's all they see. 
So to them, that's all there is. That is real life. That is reality. Hmm. But then one day, one of the guys breaks out of his shackles and then turns around and sees this fire and sees that there's someone there making these puppets. And oh my God, what I've seen on the walls my entire life, that's not reality. That's just a shadow of reality. So he's freaking out. He's just learned so much. His entire world has literally changed. And then he escapes the cave. He gets out and he crawls out. And he's in excruciating pain because it's so bright and there's sunlight and his eyes are not accustomed to it. And then he finally sees the flowers, the plants, the trees, the dirt, the ground, the lake, everything. And then he can look up and not stare directly at the sun because that's terrible, kids. <laughs> but he sees sunlight. And again, he's in pain. It hurts. But he's like, oh, this is what reality is. So that's the allegory of the cave, of how there can be a shift between what we think is real and what actually is real. And then there's a further section of this where the philosopher, the enlightened person, not only should return and help the other prisoners, but he or she has a moral obligation to do so, to go back into that cave and bring other prisoners out and show them reality. But the thing is, you can probably imagine that if you go back into a cave and tell people like, this is not real, all we know is fake and the real reality is something different. They'll be like, yeah, okay, crackpot, whatever. <laughs> whatever nerd. Yeah, whatever yeah. nerd. So they're not going to believe it. <laughs> so there's a few different aspects to this. And the whole idea is like that sunlight is enlightenment mm. and it hurts to be enlightened, but it's worth it kind of deal. So that's Plato's allegory of the cave. Probably hurts to... You know, have to talk to not enlightened people, too, and watch them reject you all the time and be like, okay, sorry, man, you know, shadow and puppets are cooler than whatever this sun thing you're talking about is. Sure. You know, yeah. Sorry, I'm probably just projecting high school sad memories on no, this. No, I mean, that's a natural <laughs> thing, right? Where you feel like you've learned something yeah. and then you try to tell other people about it to educate them as well. And then they're not. Yeah. Not that they're not interested in it like you are, because, I mean, people have different interests, but then they don't like buy into it. Uh, in general, though, Facebook is not that platform. Stop trying. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they can keep trying. I don't know if there'll be any results. <laughs> so hopeful. Um, but, okay. All right. So being real here, though, <laughs> bringing it back down, I knew all of that. Uh, it's really clear how it all applies. Of it's not course. even really in question. Um, but could you explain it just a little bit more for the listeners? Uh specifically not for me but all these other folk yeah so where i see a clear application of it is that neo must destroy the matrix and he has to free everyone mm. so that's him having left the cave or everyone who's in the real world they've left that cave and discovered what's true reality because the world that they're living in of 1999 is those shadows on the wall i like the idea that and 1999 is that Almost perfect reality, but isn't. No, oh, absolutely. It's the height of humanity. <laughs> right before Y2K ruined it all. Was it was that it was Backstreet Boys era, right? That's what we decided to settle on robots. That was our that was our go to was NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, and they're like, Yeah, this will do. do. This is this is a torturous enough for humanity. It can't get better than that. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. Yeah, so Neo has to come out of that matrix, come out of that cave, and his destiny is to free everyone. And then prisoners don't want to be freed. And Neo talks about this himself. Once he is freed, he says, I don't believe it. No. I don't believe it. It's not possible. I didn't say it would be easy, Neo. I just said it would be the truth. Stop. Let me out. 
Let me out! I want out! And then Morpheus tells Neo that after a certain age, they don't pull people out anymore because they're too used to the simulation and it could be dangerous to their mind to remove them. And uh, fittingly, Neo throws up after he's removed and he learns about the real life. Welcome to the desert of the real. But considering everything Keanu Reeves has seen in his many roles, I'm surprised this was any more shocking than any of the others. He's been in a time-traveling phone booth, you know? Was that before or after he saved everyone from the Matrix? No, substantially before. He was, like, quite, quite a youth back then. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, all this definitely sounds like it's philosophically rooted, but is there is there more going on here? Oh, dude, we've barely scratched the surface. There is so much. All right. <laughs> let's, let's walk through some of this stuff. So in one of the very first scenes, it's probably like five minutes into the movie, Neo hides some money. I forget what he's actually exchanging. It's some like illegal software that he gives to these goth punk techno guys. And then he takes the money from them. And, uh, Best kind. He hides the stuff in a hauled out book. And the book is actually Simulacra and Simulation by Jean Baudrillard. And that's a real book by a real philosopher. Ooh. So... Yes, great question, Wholesome. What is simulacra? And what is simulation? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, um, a little hurt that you'd know. No, there was no way I was going to know what that is. Please talk. <laughs> so simulation, we know, is like, it's an imitation of something, right? It's a fake process, right? A simulation. Yes. But simulacra is a representation of something, which sounds very similar. But imagine, like, in architecture, you have a model. Mm -hmm. before you actually build a building or the city or whatever and the model that we like to look at so that would be simulacra it's a representation of something oh cool simulation i like that that's a good term i'm gonna go retake the sats with that one in my back pocket (laughs) the 12th time so simulacra and simulation is talking about signs and symbols and how they relate to reality and jean baudrillard also talks about hyper reality which there you go that's a fancy philosophical term but (laughs) hyper reality is the inability to distinguish between these simulations and simulacra and actual reality. Like, if you get to a certain point. So something like maybe plastic surgery, right? Where if it's done properly, there's tons of bad plastic surgery, but if it's done properly, you can't tell it's fake. So it'd be like, this is some fakeness mixed in with reality, and that becomes hyper-reality. Or if you imagine, like, CGI, like good CGI in a movie. It's real, it's not. That's uh that makes me think of another term. Have you have you ever heard of the uh, uncanny valley? Is that related to the great granola bar nature's valley? <laughs> yes, it's just more much more difficult to find. Mm. Not as tasty either. It's actually kind of upsetting. Uh and you'll see why. The uncanny valley is this term uh it basically if you had to do like probably what you described as hyperreality but like a step below that is that range where usually it's in reference to cgi but can also apply to robots it's getting really close to being human-like but everything's just a little bit off and that makes everybody super uncomfortable watching it Mm. and if you're i'm trying to think of a good example of something like that Uh, uh, one that's frequently referenced was like they did a what was it final fantasy the spirits within movie was just like not quite there um oh polar express the movie like uh Everyone's faces are just a little too plastic oh, in a way okay. that it tries to look real, but then just ends up making you feel pretty uncomfortable, you know? What's that it, called? It, the Uncanny Valley. Okay. So it's yeah. like almost achieving hyperreality, but not quite. 
and it just sets off something primal in our brains that makes us freak the heck out. Like you just don't want to look at that <laughs> and you're just like, get it out of here. You know, it's, it's uh yeah, it's a, uh, sorry, just fun term Thought I throw it out there. Like to do nerd stuff. No. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's great. That's a, uh, yeah, almost there. But <laughs> And I imagine it'd be something where you couldn't quite point out what's wrong, but you just are like this, there's something wrong. I'm unnerved. Yeah, like maybe it's like the the mouths are moving, they line up with the words, but maybe just the way that they're flapping is somehow yeah. wrong, or like the way they go over the teeth in front <laughs> of your gums, and you're like, ah, I don't know, but it scares me. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, look, look it up, like, I'm sure you can YouTube, like, best of Uncanny Valley, which would actually be worst of, it's nightmare fuel, but. Mm, I imagine, yeah. so perhaps don't do that. <laughs> We're saving you. You're welcome. But yeah, so Simulacra and Simulation is just a prop that they use, but it uh, definitely reflects everything. And that quote we played earlier, Morpheus saying, Welcome to the desert of the real. That's actually a direct quote from this book. Ooh, man, they're doing a, throwing a lot more smart stuff in here than I thought. See, that's why I really wanted to do this episode, because there's so much <laughs> in this that we understand overarching it's philosophical, but then there's so much more, and I want to dig into that. So there's more continuing, there's mirrors. This is something probably people have noticed. There's mirrors everywhere, just reflective surfaces. Um, In the movie or real life, because it's true for both. Ah, yes. How can we distinguish between the movie and reality? No, no. I meant like there's mirrors all over the place. It's reflective surfaces. No. Do you not? Where do you live that there's no reflective surfaces? Well, I'm currently underneath a blanket. There's nothing. (laughs) (laughs) You poor soul. But in the movie, there are mirrors everywhere. And there's actually a scene where Neo is sitting down with Morpheus and he looks over at a mirror and he sees himself perfectly, but there's a crack in the mirror and all that's missing is his face. So it's kind of unnerving. Like there's a metaphor right there too. Mm. Morpheus's sunglasses in the film are also reflect when uh, he offers Neo the pills, the the red pill and the blue pill. And he's got one pill in each of the lenses of the sunglasses. And I always thought that was a really cool effect. It's like the two. Yeah. Yeah. There's like aspirin or there's like blue aspirin. Ah, yes. Blue aspirin. To fix his headache or whatever problem he had. I didn't really watch the movie that closely. With a nice blueberry kick to it. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, we see characters' reflections in doorknobs and spoons, glass facades everywhere. And then the reflection is the focus of the shot. It's not just like, a, oh, cool, pretty shot with a reflection. The reflection is the focus. And this is talking about Plato's theory of the forms. Hmm. Reflection of true reality. Wait, he's he's got something specifically about reflections? Plato does? Oh yeah, absolutely. So Plato's theory of the forms, or theory of ideas is the very essence of Plato's philosophical understanding of the world, actually. And uh, actually, why don't you describe that cup you've got in front of you right now? Uh, yeah, no, it's um, eh, she's round um, for the most part. It's uh, kind of like a mint green covered in Hello Kitty stickers and one Megadeth sticker just really to balance it out mm-hmm. um, in an uncomfortable amount of uh, Ryan Reynolds pictures. Um, and it's got water in it. That was uh, far more thorough than I was expecting. But okay, um, my cup is just, you know, a normal human being mug. It's black on the outside, red on the inside. So it's good. It's solid. <laughs> do we both have cups? What <laughs> defines a cup? Round holds liquid. Okay. Um, I think we may have to reboot Wholesome. But what if I put 
liquid. You said liquid. What if I put something solid in it? Or like a sockwin, like ice cream. Or what if it has nothing in it? Is it still a cup? Round a whole many things? Okay, reboot is not complete. But what about, um, what if it's not round? What if it's more like square shaped? Or what's a, what is a mug? Is it different? Um, reboot complete. Um, I, you know what? Starting to think I don't really know what makes a cup a cup. Hmm. So Plato, he thought we could have mere opinions about specific things. We can perceive these things and we can have opinions about them. But everything we perceive is only a tiny shadow of the true thing. And we can never have true knowledge of that true thing. It's like sunlight and shadows, but we just see the shadows. Oh, and that brings us right back to the allegory of the cave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same idea. Plato thought we could never understand the true nature of cupness. Only specific cups. Cupness. Or tableness, if we're talking about tables. Uh, <laughs> dear listener, if you look at our lovely, lovely podcast cover art made by Wholesome's very talented girlfriend. Thank you, girlfriend. You'll see our reenactment of the famous School of Athens painting. And right in the center, Wholesome and I replaced Plato and Aristotle. You'll notice that Plato is pointing up while Aristotle is pointing more at where they, where they currently are standing. And that's because Plato believed true reality was elsewhere, in the forms, in the ideas. Whereas Aristotle believed reality could be deciphered empirically. We could figure it out through our senses. Wait, so that's what that is? I, I thought you told me to do that because I'm number one. How, how does that make sense? What would my gesture mean then? No, oh, that, that you're a dashed line, clearly. Ugh. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> Wait, sorry. It, hyphen. Hyphen, is that better? Uh, th this is neat stuff. So the mirrors are everywhere, and the reflections and the spoons and doorknobs and sunglasses everywhere. It has, it has meaning. Yes. Uh, I, need you, I need to reboot after that one. But yeah, so sunglasses are everywhere. <laughs> Actually, sunglasses, um, if you notice, they're only worn in the Matrix when they're in the program, but never in the real world. Oh, you mean, you mean in and the... There's also that Oh, sorry, go ahead. In, yeah, in their version of the real world where machines have taken over and destroyed everything. They don't wear sunglasses there. I think you meant in this real world, no one wears sunglasses, and they only exist in the movie, and I was about to fight you on that one pretty vehemently. Moving on. There's that one scene where he <laughs> has just taken the red pill from Morpheus, and he's going to discover what reality is. And he looks over, and he sees a mirror. And then he like, it's kind of weird, something happening, so he reaches over and touches it. But then it starts melting onto him and it like goes up his arm, goes up his shoulders and like starts covering his entire body and he becomes the mirror. So I'm not going to get too deep into that one. But if we're talking about mirrors being reflections and reality and what's true and not, you can probably figure out like he becomes the mirror. That's got a lot of meaning to it, too. This, this thing, I thought it was deep, but I had no clue it was this deep. This is crazy. But Please don't tell me they've got even more going on here. Oh, uh, dude, there's, again, we have barely started. So how about the Oracle? So remember the Oracle? And there's this whole part where Neo is visiting the Oracle and he's sitting out there with a bunch of kids. And there's some kid doing like some spoon bending, some mystical stuff. And he <laughs> it's says, like the fifth element in Avatar. Yes, spoon, spoon bending. bending. <laughs> Fire, earth, water. Sorry, go ahead. And he... The little kid says, there is no spoon. So what is reflected is not true. The reflected pictures are just, just images. The world is just an illusion. And this gets to the Buddha, and like his understanding of the world. 
In the movie, they're saying the world inside the Matrix is not real and Neo can bend it to his will. But for us, it's not necessarily saying that the world around us isn't materially there, but rather talking about knowledge and understanding. Can we ever have true knowledge or is everything we see just a shade, a reflection? Hmm. It gets to that one saying I've heard, I don't know what it's from, but it goes, we don't see things as they are. We see them as we are. Deep-tastic. Oh, there's so much to it. And, oh, actually, continuing with the Oracle, there's a scene where the Oracle says, oh, don't worry about that vase. And then Neo's, like, trying to figure out what vase. He says, what vase? And he, like, looks around trying to figure it out, and he knocks over this vase with his elbow, and it shatters on the ground. And the Oracle goes, that vase. But what's really going to cook your noodle later is, would you still have broken it if I hadn't said anything? (laughs) Uh, I guess it's back into fate and and destiny and your own capability for free will all over again that's uh and this is just one movie it just wants to hit everything it does hit everything they they earned it i mean it's great they hit everything and included like kung fu and um leather jackets so is there a word for perfect film can it get better is what you're asking and i think it can oh it does okay here's one that uh (laughs) i think everyone probably picked up on this one so cypher is part of the crew that neo joins in the real world right but he he, he's kind of like slimy squirrely you can tell like he's kind of something's wrong and we learn that he has nefarious intentions and he ends up betraying the team jerk you know I know this steak doesn't exist. I know that when I put it in my mouth, the Matrix is telling my brain that it is juicy and delicious. After nine years, you know what I realize? (sighs) Ignorance is bliss. Cypher knows the steak doesn't exist, but he feels it. Yeah, that's what you were getting at earlier, right? Like, we just feel things, but... I mean... Can sensory perception be trusted? Steak's a steak, man. Uh, I mean... <laughs> you know, uh, one of the things that... And the quote you referenced earlier makes me think about this is... When we look at a color, this always blew my mind in biology class or wherever the heck I learned it. But that what we're seeing isn't the color. What we're seeing is it is all of the colors... We're just seeing the one that it's not being reflected back at us. So when something is, say, a red apple, this apple has absorbed all of the other colors except for red. And those red wavelengths are what's firing back into our eyes. And that's why we perceive it as being red, is that it's literally everything else but red. But we call it red. And that is so confusing to me. Trippy. But that's physics. So just to say that, that, yeah, that's, that's reality except... What we define it as is technically wrong across the board, but we're just kind of cool with it. And heck, if I can't trust my senses, I've been literally instructed that my senses are wrong frequently. <laughs> Yours particularly. It's like my whole study. Right, right. Mine more than most. <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I tend to think Ethan looks attractive, but everybody else says no. Hmm. Let's move on. <laughs> Or actually, a good one with this. So Cypher says at the end of that clip, he says, ignorance is bliss. Now I'm going to stay with that with your previous comment. But that one clearly, I think, talks to the whole idea about Plato's cave. And when he comes out, when he first comes out of the cave and his eyes hurt, enlightenment is painful. Ignorance is bliss. 
Oh, that is a perfect callback. That's like seeing the sun and it burned his eyes. He doesn't want to deal with it. Oh, this movie's so smart. There's so much. There's a point where Agent Smith talks about the first iteration of the Matrix. I think this is like the sixth iteration. If kind of like figured it out and uh he says the first iteration was a perfect paradise but humans rejected it because it didn't square with what they thought reality was that's uh that ties a lot back into what we were discussing earlier and you can have the perfect rock star life yeah yeah it sure looks like people want a little bit of suffering to help confirm reality in a way yeah so is suffering is suffering a inherent part of reality is that part of nature so that actually comes to uh buddhism so in buddhism there's this thing called dukkha and it's one of the three marks of existence and it's the first of the four noble truths these may be terms you've heard about buddhism but it's basically it's suffering and there's a buddhist nun who uh i'm gonna butcher this name but it's tubten chodron and she says suffering is, quote, just the nature of samsara. Just as fire's nature is to burn, samsara's nature is to be unsatisfactory. So to, to understand that, we got to break down what is samsara. So samsara is a Sanskrit word for world. But it's not just like the planet. It's the circuitous concept of birth and death and rebirth, this reincarnation that exists in Buddhism and Hinduism and uh, Jainism. So this idea exists in all of that. So samsara is like our world. It's this rebirth, this reincarnation. So this nun is saying suffering is just the nature of samsara, just the nature of this world. Yeah. And... We have to compare that with uh, nirvana. That's a term most people are familiar with. But what does it mean? So nirvana... Means you're really into good grunge rock. Yes, yes. But also... In the new Batman trailer. Oh, God, is it? Yeah, it's the background for the... It's really good if you haven't seen it. Oh, okay, I'll check it out. Yeah, check it out. But prior to the band, just a few years before, something like 2,500 years or something more before, nirvana meant release from samsara release from that world from this cycle of reincarnation so death and rebirth that also applies to christianity so christianity buddhism hinduism jainism all of these are playing in here where the first iteration of the matrix was a perfect paradise but it wasn't accepted so maybe suffering is part of the reality of nature of our existence and you know what the coolest form of suffering is what was that super sick martial arts fight scenes we get to watch people suffer like it's dancing oh yes tell us tell us <laughs> uh, they're kind of like beautiful dances of violence oh, i like that that's a good band name dances of violence <laughs> but no no i mean like this movie's jam-packed with you got um you know it's funny i i think he, he the first thing he learns in the system is jujitsu i can't think of a single time in that movie where he specifically uses jujitsu <laughs> um but but no he's got all kinds of moves um taekwondo kung fu that's the classic line that everybody knows is uh, uh i know kung fu <laughs> he does say that um he's he's got that keanu reevesness he's got like the young keanu reeves thing before he's like olden and wizened like we know him now where he feels like a wizard sage and puppy savior um Avenger. that everybody loves yeah you know just he's went from like being despised to being absolutely beloved and i'm 
glad everybody figured it out. He's the real deal. So kudos to a film for being able to throw so much philosophy at you and be like, but it would be boring if we didn't all punch each other every once in a while. And shoot so many guns. It's true. I still I still feel really bad watching those scenes, though, because I, they talk about in the movie that, like, you die in the Matrix, you die in real life, and... Those guys were just like security guards that happened to not know that they were even remotely associated with this evil Mr. Smith, you know? And if he takes over a body and then they kill him, then that guy's dead now, too. Just from a moral perspective, I get upset watching those scenes. Yeah, I mean, that could talk about utilitarianism, right? Is it worth it for the greater cause? Which is bringing everyone back to reality. Clearly they thought so. I'm like, uh, but guns are cool in this movie <laughs> and then even the name it's such a clever movie i remember and maybe they because they pretty much point this one out but that neo is an anagram for the one yeah dude even the names uh so neo you said like you said is anagram for the one but it's also from the greek for new and we use it all all the time that way kind of like um the neolithic stone age which means the new Stone Age. Yeah, neoconservatives and neoliberals. Not to go political, but you know, just to say what things are. Yeah, so neo means the one, but it also means new. And his normal person name, so like when he was in the Matrix, his name was Thomas Anderson. Get this, even that name has a lot of meaning. So Anderson means son of Anders, or like son of Andrew. But that name in itself, Anders Andrew, comes from the Greek for man. So... Anderson is son of man. Huh. And I think you can draw some parallels there to Christianity. <laughs> yeah, I can. And then even the first name, Thomas, comes from that Christianity again. It's Thomas. It was Doubting Thomas, the apostle, St. Thomas, because he was a skeptic. Oh, snap. Yeah. And, and Neo's the yeah. skeptic. Is that he? That's how we can actually manage to comprehend this new reality. Holy cow. In the name that they barely ever use, Thomas Anderson. Well, they do say Mr. Anderson a few times. Yeah, but the Thomas is what's blowing my mind there. What a slick reference. And then Morpheus. Morpheus is the ancient Greek god of dreams. And Morpheus is the character. That wasn't just a sick name? No, it all has relevance. <laughs> Man, I used to read up on Greek gods. I can't believe I've heard of this guy. That is so sick. Uh, I got one for you. I too can play at this game. Trinity. That's like the Christian Trinity. It's, uh, you know, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, clearly they're drawn from sources all across the board here. And there's even more Christianity. Neo is the savior and he must sacrifice himself for, for Morpheus. And then later in the terrible sequels that we pretend didn't exist, he has to sacrifice himself for everyone. So... There's a rebirth there as well. I mean, the parallels are very clear. It goes on and on. Maybe the programs are supposed to be angels. And Agent Smith is a devil, like a fallen angel, because he hates humans. And I mean, even the name of the place that they live, the, the last human city is called Zion. So definitely religious parallels there. Yeah. And actually, speaking of Zion, in the real world, they still live in a cave. Zion is literally a cave, but above ground, the humans have scorched the sky in their fight against the machines. They literally blocked out the sun. Does that mean they can't reach enlightenment? Mm, exactly. Exactly where I'm getting at. <laughs> oh my goodness. This movie is so jam-packed with philosophy. I am... Um, I'm salivating. But exactly, there's so much. There's so much in this. And we can bring all that right back 
to talking about how we can even know if reality is real. That's the whole theme of the episode. That's the whole theme of the movie. And whether or not we want to live in an experience machine, if it's going to be a better experience than what we're going to get in the real world. Whew. All right. And I think on that topic, I got just the right thing for the next episode. If we're going to talk about an experience machine, there's a certain Black Mirror episode that comes right to my mind. And I think you're going to like this one, Ethan, as well as you will too, audience. So stay tuned. We got more coming your way. Wholesome and Heathen do not endorse betraying all of your friends because steak tastes really good. Well, it depends on the steak. And how well it pairs with wine. Upon further reflection, Wholesome and Heathen feel they shouldn't make snap judgments on the validity of betraying your friends and family for steak. Run wild, you young stallion. Tell us what reality you'd betray your loved ones to live in at wholesomeandheathen.com.